what is up? It's numbers on the boards. I'm Bobby Corella from Mavs.com. Back in Dallas now from his uh, week in California coaching up the Cowboys. I am joined by Jeff Skin Wade. Bobby, it's very exciting. I think I've went ahead and I hung a mission accomplished banner out there in Oxnard. Yep. I think the Cowboys are in good shape if I can just make sure Travis is going to be healthy and that offensive line is good to go. And so now I can redirect my energies to very important Mav things coming up. Dirk's tennis uh, charity event is coming up in September. That's very important. And Training no, you're, you're playing in that this year, right? I'm playing in every match okay. simultaneously. Okay. Um, and then, of course, we're going to have training camp right after that. There's a Mav trip to China. So I really need to redirect my energies and focus in on what's important. And uh, that is this being a stellar Dallas Maverick 18-19 campaign. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We're recording this on August 22nd. Yep. Media day, September 21st. One month away, baby. We are baby. inside one month away from basketball being back in full force. And it is going to happen quick. So normally media day will be whatever, like Monday, September 26th. And then they won't play a preseason game until like October 5th. Right. That ain't the case this year. Okay. Because they're going to China. So the Mavericks are going to China on October 1st. They're going to have a preseason game before they leave. So oh. it is like it is happening quick. Isn't it like the Beijing Ducks or something? Uh, I believe playing? so. Yeah, I don't know the exact date, but it is the Beijing Ducks. They're coached by Emilio Estevez. Oh, really? Little known fact. Gordon Bombay coaches them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't tell if you're joking. I might be making stuff up. I would honestly believe that that would be the case. When you said so, you brought that reference. I've actually never seen the Mighty Ducks. Really? I just know that Estevez is in it. Yeah. But when you said Gordon Bombay, I thought I went even further back to a show you've probably never heard of called Bewitched. I have heard of that. So show. you know Doctor Bombay on Bewitched? No. Okay, that was I think uh, the witches was Samantha. Is her name Samantha. Samantha, yeah. That was her uncle, I think, Doctor Bombay, and she would conjure him, and he would come up with remedies for stuff. Was he magical as well, or was she? Yeah, no, nah, she. He was must have been a warlock or something. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So he could he could conjure up all sorts of absolutely. You know, he could to... conjure up a long wind streak if necessary. Hey, well there you go. Yeah. So yeah, it is. Things are happening quick, man. Very quick. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the Mighty Ducks actually. So Maxi Kleba last season, first year in America, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to get you know integrated, assimilated into American culture. So he turned to his teammates naturally to help him out. So Wesley Matthews uh, recommended a list of movies to him that he watched to familiarize himself with American culture. And I'll be darned if the Mighty Ducks was not on that list. I, that, you know, the Mighty Ducks, I believe D2, which is the best one, in my opinion. Uh-huh. But uh, because it's it's like the, they go to the global youth games, they play against other countries. So it makes sense. I but thought that was the year they played a D2 schedule. Oh, no. Um, what do you do? You know what's on this list? Uh, I don't. That was the only one that I knew. Dude, we got to get into that. Yeah, we do. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Uh, Derek Holland that, you know, pitches for the Giants now, but was, you know, a longtime Ranger favorite and a Maverick season ticket holder. Yeah. Uh, you know, he for a while was kind of like mine and Ben's little brother uh, when he first got to the Rangers. And Even we though gave, he is much taller than you. I uh, not, yeah, but younger brother. Okay. Um, and so we gave him a list of 80s and early 90s comedies that he was supposed to, you know, the... Guys my age, hey, you got to see Caddyshack and Stripes yeah. and Animal House and all this. So uh, so I totally can relate to that idea of finding, you know, your your younger protege here and going, nah, this is what you got to do to get to where you're going. So whatever 
uh, filmography that Wes laid out for Maxie. I'm very interested yeah. in this. Uh, we need to do a little more sleuth work. I'm hoping to get Maxie on here because that guy's just got a lot of personality. We is had he, him on last season, but it was like right at the beginning of the year. I think yeah. it was kind of before he was really kind of comfortable with everything. Okay, uh, he is the forgotten Mav because I think everyone, you know, as you look and see what uh, players are going to get signed or re-signed or who's going to leave – I didn't see his name mentioned once when people talked about Now, here's who the Mavs have. Nobody was talking about him. And there was more talk, in fact, about whether or not Sala was going to come back. And I think that's because Sala is this uh, alter ego, crazy entity. And then there was the tie-in that he'd played with Luca many years back and all this stuff. But, you know, Max had a way better year than anybody anticipated. Quite honestly, when they signed him, I thought he was going to be a, a Texas legend. Yeah. Um, and when you look at the center rotation, you know, DeAndre's a big signing and he makes a huge difference. And then you go, well, you know, Dwight Powell is your five in a lot of lineups and Saul is a good changeup guy. Max is a good young player and I think he'll be a better three point shooter this year. He really struggled early last year as he was adjusting to the new length of the, the three point line from what he was accustomed to. And his shot was flat early on. But he's active and he rebounded. And, uh, man, I. I I think he's just a guy that nobody's thinking about, and I think he's a contributor. And he can stay in front of guards, too. Yes, he can. And wings. I mean, so he guarded KD whenever the Mavs went to Golden State, and that was a an interesting period for the team because that was whenever Maxie was still starting at center or four, whatever you want to say, and Dirk was starting, too. So you go up against Golden State, KD is playing a lot of minutes at four. Someone's got to guard him, so it, was, it became Maxie. Right. And KD had a pretty good night, but Maxie did not make it easy on him. And no. he can stay in front of those quick guys, even though he's not – I mean, he, he can explode toward the rim, right? But he's not the quickest guy on his feet. He just really knows how to move his body and really can, like, stay in front of guys, which is something that you gain experience doing in Europe, right? Angles, they switch dude. everything over there, yeah. Angles. Angles matter. Yeah. That's how Jay Kidd was such a good defender after he lost his – quickness i mean one he was strong but he anticipated and he knew angles mm. you know it's like anybody grew up playing basketball your coach said to you many times beat your guy to the spot you know what does that mean well that's about anticipating direction it's about as rick would say the geometry of the game and max does a good job of that sort of yep. stuff yeah for sure and what is the nba all about now switching it's hey, almost like the people in europe have it figured out skin yeah they have it figured out they well, know they're older it. than us yeah. hey uh so a uh, weird moment here what would you describe this area where we're doing the podcast so, is this a kitchen? Well, so we we actually were not recording here last week. We were over there. Oh, I see. I go out of town, and you and the machine go yeah, we, like nice digs. No, 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 not nice digs. We were at a table over here because they were doing something way more important oh, over wow, here. Okay. I would call it almost like a nook with oh, yeah. a with a sink. Kitchen nook. Kind of, yeah. Only okay. there's a basketball hoop and a, and a keyboard in here. Too, okay, so I've never understood why there's a keyboard here. Uh, well, why not? Yeah, good point. Um, but one thing that I'm just going to put you on the spot here. So for those listening, I'm going to paint the picture. So Bob and I sit across from each other at a circular table, and it's one of those that's about like mid-chest high tables. Um, and he's got his laptop open, and there's mics. And uh, directly behind Bobby is a sink. And then to my left, five feet down from the sink, is a microwave. And so one of the things that I'll do is I will actually take my coffee that I've let get cold, and I'll reheat it. And so I'm about to get up. And I'm going to walk over to this microwave that's probably nine feet away from me. I'm going to spend about 30 seconds reheating this. So I got three seconds to walk over there, three seconds to walk back. So now vamping about basketball for the next 45 seconds is Bobby Corella. Okay. 
I'm actually glad that Skin has afforded me this opportunity because I'm typically used to Skin or Mike Marshall or our guests, a.k.a. the players of the Dallas Mavericks, just interrupting me and not letting me have my shine. So now I have my shine. And let me just tell you, kind of for a different project that I don't want to talk too much about right now, I've been going back in time and I've been watching some old Dirt games on YouTube. And by old, I mean like pre-high definition uh, where the highlights are clipped by some guy who literally lives in Germany and is calling the games in German for broadcasts in Europe, like in 2002. So these are old Dirk clips. And I got to tell you, man, back in those days, Dirk was playing small forward. Jawan Howard, the four. Sean Bradley, the five. Dirk was playing three in 1999, 2000, 2001. And he's draining threes on guys that are just so terrified of what he was doing. And it just really made me appreciate the greatness that is Don Nelson. And I remember at the time my dad would always tell me, oh, yeah, you know, Nelly's doing stuff that nobody else is doing. It's like, oh, my God. You watch what they were doing then. Skin is back now. He's just a – I was able to hear this. I think you made the most of your time. I thought the setup, you probably killed 10 seconds of setup. But really you got to something good here. Hey, thank you. I think you should finish this. Yeah, yeah. No, I will. I will. I will. So it made me appreciate – you know, because in those days I was like 9, 10, 11 years old. So basketball – no matter who I was watching, it was exciting. But my dad was just promising me, just believe me, one day you'll appreciate what you grew up watching. He would always say that. And now I'm old enough to appreciate what I was watching back then because, like, I was watching 2018 basketball in 2001. Like, yeah. I was raised on the modern NBA. You know what's really amazing. cool, man, is uh, so at my age, you know, growing up with Michael Jordan was the thing. So uh, when Jordan got to North Carolina, I think I was 12. Right. And then he and it's different back then. You couldn't see as many games and things like that. But I always was envious of people that got to grow up in Chicago with Jordan as their guy. And then I was in my late 20s when we drafted Dirk. You're about my age now. Yeah. So I didn't grow up. But I thought about guys that are your age growing up with Dirk. I was like, man, that's such a a special thing. And so back then when Dirk was drafted, local sports on local news was still a big deal. Like, it not isn't so much anymore, but, like, the local sportscaster for each network was a really big deal. And Dale Hansen is a legendary DFW sports figure. When we drafted Dirk, uh, on Dale Hansen's sports special after the draft. Draft was Thursday, Sunday night. They're showing footage of Dirk, and I think he's over at the Baylor facility, yeah. and he's shooting. And back then, seven-footers were sinners, okay? And my dad's an old basketball coach, and I called him late at night. You know, it's like 1040 on a Sunday night or whatever. And I called my dad, and I go, you're not going to believe this center that we drafted. I'm watching him shoot right now on Dale Hansen's sports special. Dad, centers don't shoot like this. This guy is lights out. He's going to change the center position. This is amazing. And it kind of goes full circle to what you're saying about Nelly. I don't know if we talked about this or not on an earlier podcast, but I went to Maui this summer and I ended up playing golf with Nelly and hanging out with Nelly. And it was unbelievable. Great experience. But I started talking to him about – do you feel validated with what the NBA is? Because that's what you were before everybody. And he's called small ball, but it wasn't like I'm going to play small guys. I was talking about this, and Nelly said it so simply. He goes, man, all I did was I played my best players. Like, you know, we're overthinking this. He goes, I just played my best players. Yeah, whether care, they're 6'1 or 7'1. Didn't care about what the position was. Oh, you can shoot and dribble and pass? Okay, I'm going to play you because you're better than the guy that he might be seven foot, but he can't do that stuff I'm talking about. 
man, I'm just going to play my best players. And uh, that's looking like a true golf guru. In right, Hawaii, man. You know? He's like this uh, philosophical Yeti living in Maui now. Yeah. But uh, but it, it really is the game. And you, we were joking earlier about, I guess, the Europeans have it all figured out. It's been a skill game over there for a while. Uh, it's just that bigs had skills. I think the biggest change in American basketball is when I grew up, uh, oh, you're five inches taller than everybody else. Go stand on the block. We don't do that anymore. Now we teach bigs skills. And so now bigs have skills. So now it's fully a skill game again. Yeah, kind of the way that I grew up understanding what power forwards did was that they would get rebounds. Yeah. Like they'd be like Charles Oakley. And Enforcers. Just go and, yeah, just bang around and get rebounds. And it was like, okay, so centers are your guys that post up. Power forwards get rebounds. Small forwards do really nothing. Shooting guards right. take jump shots and point guards pass the ball. Do you know the, do you know the story about the old Rockets coach, Rudy Tomjanovich? It's called The Punch. Do you know this old story? Uh, Kermit Washington, right? Yes. Yeah. Kermit Washington was what you're talking about. He was actually there to beat up people that mess with Jabbar. Like, that's kind of his role. Yeah. You know, and so back then, fights happened a lot. In fact, Calvin Murphy, who's a little 5'10 guy that was on the Rockets, was known as one of the best fighters in the league. Really? Because he had amazing boxing skills. Wow, okay. Yeah, but that that's why, you know, I think why Kermit Washington was so quick to turn and punch Tom Jonovich was that it's what he did. That was what he was paid to do. That's what Fours did. Maurice Lucas was a great guy. Truck Robinson. These guys were rebounders and bruisers. Kurt and Rambis, just like energy, frenetic, like guys that just play angry. And right? now it's like, boy, that's one of your skill positions. Yeah, I would say, I mean, maybe not anymore because now it's almost become center. But like five years ago, three years ago, power forward was your most important position. Yeah. That like determined what kind of team you were. Yeah. Can he shoot or not? Right. So anyway, yeah, the Europeans, they're older than us by six or seven hours each, and uh, they've been doing things differently than us for a really long time. All these guys come over here whose skill sets that we just don't really understand. Uh, the big guys play like guards. Some of the guards play like big guys, right? And uh, that circle has repeated itself this season too, Skin. Dude, listen to this. So we had uh, Al Harrington on the Ben and Skin show last week. He was in town for the big three, and he came into the league same year as Dirt. Really? Same year as Richard Lewis. They all came in the same year. But he was – Kind of, a, he was playing like three most of his career. He was right? a three, four kind of guy, yeah. and he and he talked about you know just how incredible Dirk was. Like he was just throwing, glowing compliments and love Dirk's way. But one of the things people don't remember, so Al, or maybe they remember this, Al Harrington was part of the We Believe Warriors with Don Nelson, and so he was Don Nelson's kind of player, right? Yep. Oh, you're pretty big and strong, and you can do all these things. Great, I'm gonna put you out there with Steven Jackson and you know, whatever, Baron Davis, whatever, you know, they were doing. Um, but he was – the Mavericks tried to sign him in, in fall of 2010. Really? And instead, he signed with the Denver Nuggets. And so the Mavericks just won a championship that year anyway. Oh, so man. He had been he like was, Hammer Brian Cardinal. Is that um, kind of you know that's or? a great question. I'd have to go back and look at the order of operations, but that might have been okay. bringing in Cardinal and that you may be right. You may have nailed that. Mm. And you know Cardinal had a, a played for Rick in Detroit, so Rick was aware of Brian and uh, you know knew what he did and those sorts of things. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, man, there's God. You know, uh, you get to know people and their families and stuff. And, you know, uh, because of our job, we get to know players and then we get to know their wives. 
Uh, man, Brian Cardinal's wife is one of the coolest ladies I've ever met. She totally. tells awesome stories. Yeah. And she was a hooper at Purdue, a good basketball player as well. But uh, she's one of my all-time favorite players' wives. Really good basketball player and tells awesome stories. Oh, so. Awesome. But awesome. What are we doing with the podcast? I think, I mean, we're all over the place and I love it. Oh, yeah. This is yeah. my favorite style of podcasting. Yeah, just kind of talking. Yeah. Uh, well, making trips to the microwave. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're literally all over the place. And you're watching old dirt clips. Yeah, you're People, playing p- uh, keyboard right now. Yeah, I'm just over here um, playing a 12-tone thing. Uh, people forget how athletic Dirk was. Yeah. No, he absolutely. Was a great athlete. Yeah. His big thing, right, that just like you could see it just freaked people out. These guys did not know what to do was when he would get the rebound and bring the ball up the floor. Yes. Like that is just a very fundamental thing now. Like right. whatever. Carl Towns would get the rebound and bring the ball up, and we're just like, oh, yeah, that's typical. Well, like, Dirk was doing it 15 years ago, and guys were horrified. And Biggs used to run back and get in the lane, but you're taught to stop the dribble. Uh, so what do you do when the big is not used to stopping the dribble? Just everything goes haywire. And Dirk just steps into a 20-footer and uh, drains it. Smash. And it's just buttery. It's oh, my gosh. Yeah, watching those those Mavs teams, man. We were lucky. Well, I was lucky. I guess you were lucky, too, to get to watch it. But by then, you were uh, experienced enough to know that what you were watching was pretty I, unique. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I think it's pretty cool that I had a lot of basketball experience at that point to where – the significance of what I was watching was not lost on me. Yeah. You know, and, and actually, quite frankly, like, by the time I was, uh, you know, the the three J's, everybody talk about this, I remember, like, having really mixed feelings about the style of basketball they were playing because, on one hand, it was fun, but just maybe it was because I grew up a coach's son or whatever. I was frustrated. I felt like, I felt like they were just rolling the ball out, mm. you know, and I didn't really care for – and it's a, it's a weird thing because, you know, you have this prodigy in Jason Kidd and you want to turn him loose. But I was like, man, these kids need to learn stuff that I didn't feel like they were learning mm. uh, for whatever that's worth. So, uh, But I wouldn't have had those feelings when I was 15 years old. Yeah, you, you would have just thought analyze, it was cool. Right. You don't analyze the game that way. And obviously, the older you get and the more you watch and the more things you've seen, the more that you can reference all these things and – hold them up and go, well, that doesn't work or that doesn't work and have a strong opinion whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, no, for sure. Basing it on something. Yeah. Yeah. So the interesting thing about the way timing works out, Skin, you were about 26, 27 when the Mavs got Dirk. I'm about 26, 27, and the Mavs has got Luka Doncic. Hey. So this he's kind of like my generation's chance to see a new, intriguing, like potentially different kind of player come right. to the States and, and try and make a name for himself. Now, obviously, he's doing it in an era now whenever like guys do it every year. They make the jump from Europe to the NBA. Dirk was one of the first. I mean, Tony Kukoc, there were guys before him, but Dirk was like one of the first really highly touted like teenagers to come over and, and make an impact. Right. Luca is doing it now. So our generation, my generation, is going to get to be kind of like you. We have this pre-existing basketball knowledge, and we're spoiled because our – basketball experience is Dirk and right? and not only that dude uh so when Dirk was here the internet was kind of a thing but it wasn't as pervasive for people as it is now yeah I mean it was around don't get me wrong you know there was coverage and stuff but the type of coverage that you can get now where there's multiple sites breaking down plays and teaching you terminology that wasn't around you know when Dirk first got here so I think to your generation or people your age already have 
you're ahead of the curve knowledge wise based on the access to information that you have. Yeah, we're a bunch of nerds. We're going to appreciate all of the subtleties in the pick and roll Absolutely. that Luca shows this year. Oh, really? I didn't know angles mattered on where you set the screen. Yeah, but oh, all wow. of a sudden now we're like, well, yes, that was very important. Thought so, you just set a screen. I didn't yeah, know. yeah, absolutely. By the way, underrated screen setter, Eric Dampier. He was a great screen setter. Great screen And that was actually a thing that people that weren't particularly knowledgeable about basketball used as a, you know, everyone was like, okay, he's got bad hands, he sucks. And it's like, okay, well, he's not Shaq, but let me explain what he does for this team. He freed up Dirk a lot, man. He freed up Dirk a lot. He was a very good screen setter, and uh, he's just he was a different type of center than what people wanted. But he was a very effective center. And when people bring up the greatest centers in Maverick history, they have a tendency to not say his name. Mm-hmm. When I could make an argument, dude, Dampier did just as much as James Donaldson did. I mean, but people just, oh, James Donaldson. Those are, you know, it's like, dude, Damp did stuff. Yep. They just paid him more money than the fans wanted him to get. And he didn't catch and shoot jump hooks over his shoulder, whatever. Contracts really kind of sucked the joy out of talking about basketball. It honestly, sure did. Because now you're not measuring a player against, like, his ability and his peers. You're measuring him against what the team is paying him. Right. And it ain't his fault the Mavs no. gave him money. You know? But the other thing, too, that matters is that you have a uh, finite number of money that can go out because of salary caps. True. And people are acutely aware of this stuff. And they do their own GMing, and so they have uh, opinions about, well, I wouldn't spend money that way, and that's why it matters. I know people go, well, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know what they make. Well, yeah, if you care about the way a team is built, yeah. it matters. In those days, though, the Mavs were so far over the cap that it didn't really even matter no. anyway. They were going to figure out ways to add what they wanted to add. Yep, yeah, yeah, those are the days. So anyway, this Luka era begins now, Skin, and we've talked a lot about Luka Doncic. Um, I'm sure that many of our listeners have still probably not seen like full games, but they've surely seen highlights. They know what this kid is about. Um, I would say that many of his peers have probably should have had the chance to see some highlights. I don't know if they have or not, mm-hmm. um, but that is kind of the... I think Doncic has already won over the public, is what I'm trying to say, right? Analysts, basketball fans, generally, he's won them over. Now, players are always going to be kind of the the best we consider them the best judges of their peers right yeah guys love kobe so kobe is really good but no matter what you think about kobe he is everybody's favorite player in the nba that's just yeah how, that's how I it think is that's that's they revere on. him yeah so players think their own way okay so we give them the chance to speak their mind so john schumann of nba.com he's been doing this nba rookie survey i want to say for a very long time at least since 2012 uh, but he's been polling rookies at the rookie photo shoot, this annual thing in California that they all go to. That's where we got all the uh, the badass Doncic and Brunson pictures with yes. the ball, the, with all the, the lights with going magic everywhere. shooting off of it. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool. It was I pretty cool. It. They were all wizards for a day. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, anyway, so some of these results are pretty interesting. And the reason that I talk about Doncic is, like, we've seen a lot of his stuff, but I, I can't guarantee that, like, 18-year-old Kevin Knox has seen a lot of Doncic highlights. Sure. So, uh, anyway, some of these results are kind of surprising, though, i got to say. So, Doncic is widely considered one of the favorites for Rookie of the Year, right? Mm-hmm. And the rookies voted him tied for third for most likely to win Rookie of the Year with Kevin Knox. Actually, he got 9% of the vote, and I think 30 people participated, so that's like three rookies voted. I'm sure one of them was named Luka Doncic. Hmm. The two people ahead of him, one is surprising, one is not. The guy who's not surprising, DeAndre Ayton. Of course. They tied with 18% of the vote. DeAndre Ayton and the guy who is surprising – is Colin Sexton from Cleveland. So, yeah, and that, okay. That is, that is a little surprising to me. Let me tell you why it's not surprising. Okay. It's not surprising because of the people that voted. And so one of the things that I learned doing this job a long time ago is you can go ask the same question to a player 
and then turn around and ask it of a coach or a front office person, and you will get wildly, wildly different opinions. Do you know who I bet has seen the biggest change in his own way that he views basketball? I bet if we were to get Michael Finley on here, because players see things one way, front office and coaches see it another. It's tried and true pro sports. Uh, uh, one of our buddies on the Ben and Skin Show, Michael Young, has broken this down for me. It's the way it is. Yeah. You know, the clubhouse or the locker room. It's got, and I remember, I'm not going to blow a guy up, but there was one NBA player. Do you remember the summer where we were chasing uh, Darren Williams? Uh, 2012? Yes. Yeah. So right before Darren was figuring out where he was going to sign, remember the Nets made a big trade, and they acquired Joe Johnson. Yep. And people that fancy themselves as GM types are like, oh, my God, that guy is a contract albatross. The Nets are stuck with this team. And guess what? They were. But the Nets are – so players don't think about that. I asked a guy who had played for the Mavericks at that time. I was like, man, because I was very curious about D-Will, you know, wanting to get him. And I go, man, can you believe the Nets traded for Joe Johnson? Thinking he would go, yeah, man, they're screwed. And the guy's response was, oh, my God, they're going to be incredible. Really? And I was like, what? Dude, Joe Johnson, have you ever – you should try to cover him. He is a load and just was just effusive with the praise mm -hmm. of Joe Johnson. Didn't even care about what the sal salary slot was. What he was processing was his own experiences on the floor. So if you go and ask this rookie class of guys that played each other, all right, who goes the hardest? I bet every one of them would say Colin Sexton. They're not going to say Colin Sexton doesn't have a jumper. They're going to say, man, that guy goes so effing hard. Hmm. He is nonstop. He competes his ass off. He is, he is, he is a basketball gangster. Yeah. And so when you're in the moment and you're just being asked questions, your experiences are what they're going to answer the questions. You're not going to sit here and go, well, this guy plays for this team and he's got these guys around him and here's his situation. They're going to go, man, which one of these dudes goes the hardest? That dude right there goes the hardest. And that's what that answer is based on. Interesting. They're not looking at it of going, well, Cleveland lost LeBron. Or they're just going, dude, have you tried to cover Colin Sexton? Like he beat you up with the ball. Yep. And so that's when I saw that. That took me back to that Joe Johnson story. It's, it's not the context of – Here's his situation, and here's money, and it's this. Like, man, have you tried to cover him? Holy crap. Mm. That's the first question that pops up in those guys' minds. So that, for that reason, did not surprise me. Interesting, interesting. I wonder how much that uh, that three-on-five game that they played kind of, like, helped him reach almost, like, mythological status because mm -hmm. he was, like, a maniac. Alabama had a bunch of guys hurt, a few guys fouled out, got whatever, they got too many technicals. They, so they had to finish the game with three players. Yeah. And they were down like by 15 points, and Sexton brought them back in this game. Yeah. Down three on five. It's like, uh, and it's that whole thing. Uh, I, I don't think he would mind me telling this. So when Greg Buckner coached for the Rockets, Colin Sexton's a totally different style of player than Draymond Green. But when Greg Buckner coached for the Rockets, he was in charge of running draft drills. Okay, mm -hmm. you get a bunch of guys in. And he said, and this was a year I believe the Rockets might have had two or three first-round picks. I think it was the year they drafted Royce White. Okay. I think. I don't know, man. It's all run together. Yep. But anyways, Buck said, Draymond Green won every individual drill. 
he won every team drill. And when we took breaks, all the guys stood around him and listened to him. Really? Yes. And wow. he said, I walked out of that and I told, we got to draft this guy. Yeah. We have to draft this guy. Can you imagine if they would have got Draymond? It's a different world. Oh, my God. And so my point is that guys respond to that physical, not, not even talking about personality. Personality matters, but just that alpha presence yeah. where they can just sense. And I think Sexton, the way he competes, it matters to those guys that are his peers. Interesting. Okay. That is some interesting insight. So that's insight. my theory. Yeah. Or maybe they just thought he was a badass. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, also, Joe Johnson, by the way, really good player. That's an example of the contract thing kind of ruining. Absolutely. Dude was great. Absolutely. Great. I think one of the most underrated players of his era. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last year, the winner of that Rookie of the Year uh, projection, Dennis Smith Jr. So. And that's, to me, and that's so that works both ways. I think a lot of us thought he had a chance to be Rookie of the Year because of the situation he was going into. Yeah. Uh, He's going to get the minutes and the the usage and everything. But then they started two and fourteen. Yeah, and that took a dump all over that. Yeah. Um, but man, and also those guys knew. It was like, man, if you tried to stay in front of this guy, it's whoa. You know. And he had a really cool summer league. He was yeah. doing some good stuff out there too. I th- I still think it was kind of a coin flip for Dennis to make first year or first team All Rookie last year. I think it was him and like Markinen. I want to say was like right. Kind of, Markinen was fifth in voting. Dennis was sixth. I think. So that's and Markinen's numbers were better. Yeah. Just because his field goal percentage was better. Uh, but, but it's so different. If the Mavs had won five or six more games, yeah. then maybe Dennis just gets the nod. Right. Um, okay. So the big question that everyone on the internet, Skin, you've been on the internet before. I'm familiar with it. Everyone on the internet was talking about this one. So we're talking about rookie of the year. That's what we that's what we just went over. So that's that's one season, right? Mm-hmm. Players, most of them, have more than one season in the NBA before they hang them up. So the following question. Which rookie will have the best career? So that's not the best season. That's mm-hmm. not the, the rookie of the year. So that is the best overall basketball career. Okay, the winner, I don't really have any argument against. Wendell Carter mm-hmm. from Chicago. I think that guy's great. Very, very good game against the Mavs in summer league. He, yeah. he looked really nice. Uh, then you get further down the list. Kevin Knox, Jerome Robinson, DeAndre Ayton, Mo Bamba, uh, Mikhail Bridges, Colin Sexton, Lonnie Walker, Marvin Bagley, Miles Bridges. Okay, so we're to the... Uh, end of the top ten, Troy Brown, okay. Hamadou uh, Diallo, okay. Dante DiVincenzo, okay. Uh, one guy did not get any votes who was taken in the top ten skin, and his name is Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. Did not receive a single vote, not even from himself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, everyone is obviously up in arms because Luka has an 18-year-old, one EuroLeague MVP, which probably none of these players will ever win. So you could argue that he already has had a better career than some of them will. Now, I'm not too, like, mad about it. I'm not going to get sports mad because none of these guys have ever played against Luka. Right. And probably many of them haven't seen highlights. But uh, what is kind of your reaction? Are you are you sports mad about this right now? So when I first saw this poll, I was perplexed by that. But as we're talking this through, I get it. He didn't play summer league. Um, you know what's interesting? You know who's not on that list? Who's that? Marvin Bagley. He received one vote. Probably from Marvin Bagley. Probably. Um, And if I remember, he got hurt in Summer League and didn't finish, right? I think he played in the California games, and I'm not sure how much he played in Vegas. Because I did watch him play against the Lakers in the California games. Yeah. Um, But but I think that probably has a little bit to do with it as well, Um, especially when you mentioned how good Carter looked in Summer League, for example. Yeah. 
But you're right. I mean, the, these guys, I believe on this, are you going to do the playmaking thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll get next. to that in a minute. But I think, it again, it's it's experiential for a lot of these guys. And they haven't experienced Luka. Oh, but they will. Oh, they will. Oh, they will. They will, Skin. Wendell Carter won't have to wait long to experience Luka. Uh, they Was play each other like third the third game, game of the year, fourth, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, who finished third in that. That's opening night. And then they got another one. Oh, Trey Young is what the th- second game of the year? Trey, hey, no, 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 third uh, game. Yeah, Trey Young didn't get a whole lot of love on those lists. I think no. he got best he shooter, best maybe. shooter and uh, best playmaker. Yeah, and oh, that's where we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and where he we're is going. A good next. Playmaker. He is. He did he is. lead the nation in assists? Yeah, okay. scoring and assists yeah. as a freshman. Yeah, it's not awesome. bad. Uh, <laughs> okay, so real quick before we get to the playmaker one, uh, Luca did receive one vote for uh, biggest steal at where he was selected in the draft. That's weird. And he was taken third. That, what? So someone, I don't, I don't know, maybe that was Luca voting for himself. I doubt it. Uh, so maybe. someone thought he should have been the first or second pick, but then also didn't simultaneously <laughs> think he'd have the best he's career. He's not going to be rookie of the year, and he's not going to have right. the best career. Right. Uh, Jalen Brunson got a couple votes in that, though, too. So many people thought, including me, for what my opinion's worth, many people thought that he should have been a, uh, a first-round pick. I think the Mavericks certainly did. I think the Mavericks probably didn't intend on drafting a point guard at that point in the draft, but they couldn't pass on a guy they thought was a first-round pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, and you just need three point guards anyway. I know positionless, whatever, Luka is going to handle the ball, but you got to have three because if someone gets hurt, you need people. Right. Uh, okay, so that brings us to which rookie is the best playmaker. Overwhelming vote winner is Trey Young from Atlanta. Second place on that list is not Luka Doncic. He tied for third. Mm-hmm. Second place on that list is someone else. It is Jalen Brunson. So how about the Mavs getting two players in the top three in that yeah. poll? And uh, I think, too, you know, we go back to this idea of experiential. You're talking about the guy who conducted two of the last three national championships, right? And, the, like, the best offense of all time last yeah. season. So, uh, and I don't – it's funny. I don't think of him as, like, the Chris Paul style of conductor. Um but I think it's awesome that his peers see him that way. Yeah. I really think he's a lot more like Berea than he's not like Berea. Yeah, I think Especially he's a lot with, like JJ. He's, he's taller, obviously, but the way he gets into bodies uh, and then uses that to create space, you know, JJ's the master of that because he's a barrel. Um, so, and, uh, you know, obviously a good enough outside shooter. JJ, no one ever thought JJ was lights out, but he was always a good enough outside shooter. Yeah. Um, and also the knowing when to make those decisions. And I think Jalen knows when to make those decisions. At least he did at the college level. Yeah, not the flashiest guy, but he always seemed to make the right decision. Solid. Not a lot of turnovers. Uh, he So Jalen Brunson does not play fast. I'll say he's not the fastest guy, but he plays as fast as he can go. Right. So, like, he plays at 100% of his, of his tempo. Yeah. And that can, like, that can knock you off balance, right? So, like... Chris Paul can change gears. In his prime, he was super quick. Dennis, another great example. Dennis has speeds. He can go zero. He can go 20. He can go 50. He can go 100. And they're all, like, way different speeds. Brunson is always going to go as hard as he can, even if it's not the fastest, which that is going to – that's going to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. You're not going to know how to defend him. He's got, he's got a little bit of shake, too. And he's a lefty. And last mm-hmm. week was uh, National Left-Handers Day. Was it so, really? Yeah. So, happy, happy day for Jalen Brunson. I hope he enjoyed it. Uh, one guy that actually got some uh, pretty good votes here for the Rookie of the Year, or not Rookie of the Year, the best career, was Lonnie Walker. Interesting. He got two votes for that, playing for the Spurs. And he might actually be in line to get more minutes this season. So he's playing two, right? The Spurs are kind of going through a little bit of a rebuild. Um, but they just got DeMar DeRozan. They still have Rudy Gay. That's mm-hmm. two wings. Lonnie Walker is also a wing. So mm-hmm. either they're all going to play 
Manu Ginobili's in there too, so that's four wings. And where's Walker going to get his minutes? Well, that might be cleared up soon, Skin. Uh, our guy Woj at ESPN is reporting that Manu Ginobili might retire. He's considering it. Mm-hmm. He's meeting with Greg Popovich to talk about it. Ginobili's played, I believe, six, 15 NBA seasons. This will be his 16th, or he's played 16. This will be his 17th. I'm sorry for forgetting. I know I should have looked that up. Eh, but uh, He's played a long time. He's played a very long time, and he played many years before that in Europe mm-hmm. and uh, was very good over there. Also a EuroLeague MVP, kind of like Luca. Yep. So – uh, Manu Ginobili, if he, we are at, uh, what is this, August 21st, you said, 22nd? 22nd. And camp starts in three or four weeks or whatever, and now this is coming up. That leads me to believe that this offseason was more enjoyable for him. You know, I, I don't know that this is a decision you make now unless you're at this point going, well, I'm not where I need to be, and I don't know that I want to put in the work to get to where I need to be. Yeah. So – it's like the old Parcells line about if you're thinking about retiring, you've already retired. Yeah. Uh, I would be surprised if we saw Ginobili. I bet he's meeting with Pop to say, hey, should I still be around the team in some capacity? What would you like? You know, those sorts of things. Um, but uh, he he is probably, you know, we've thrown this out earlier with Joe Johnson. I think he's the most underrated player of his era. He was so good. He's so good, and because in his prime – he chose or agreed to come off the bench for the good of the team. Um, I think I just – that guy would probably, if he was a full-time starter somewhere, be in that conversation with the Dwayne Wade and Clyde Drexlers right behind Kobe and Jordan as the greatest two-guard of all time. Yeah, he's incredible. He's incredible. Yeah, so from – such a great competitor – and also, you know, I think of, uh, you know, when you have great players, I think it's always interesting, too, to think of their greatest failures. I think the and one on Dirk at the end of Game 7 against San Antonio is one of his greatest failures. He Why? First of all, it's funny that he thought he could block that shot. Yeah, well, I mean, he almost did. He almost did, but just the lack of awareness to know the situation. But, you know, that's a you live and die with the greats. And, yep. you know, he's uh, he won a whole hell of a way more lot games and championships than he cost them. Yeah, sure. well, I, I think it's the 2013 finals, and I might be misremembering because I know the Spurs and the Heat played two finals in a row. But I believe in 2013 uh, he lost the Spurs a game by, like, missing a wide-open jump shot, and then he committed a turnover and then a foul or just something like a one minute was like, man, that was rough. Yeah. But then the next game he comes out and scores, like, 15 in the fourth quarter yeah. and wins them the game. Yeah. That, that's kind of like – that's the Ginobili experience. Yes, he's like the, that's the Ginobili He's got experience. a flair for the dramatic, man. Yeah, He's, well he's going to make some crazy plays one way or the other. He's very, like, Jet Terry-esque, right? He's gonna, yeah. He's going to hit Michael Finley in the groin one game, and then he's going to sink a game winner on LeBron. Yeah. You know? I think that's a good comparison. I mean, obviously different styles, but you're talking about the, the experience Just for kinda, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think also he and Parker to a degree are greatly responsible for changing pop uh, or for pop's willingness to change. Maybe I should say in the stories are that the coaches would come to him and say, Hey, you've got your, you're snuffing out this great flame, you know? And, you know, San Antonio plays so open now. That ain't the way they play with Avery. Now, Avery couldn't do the things that, you know, in his different era, and you had two seven-footers and blah, blah, blah. But yep. it's so amazing when you look at Popovich's career how much he has changed or that style of play that their team plays has changed. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, you know, there's comments in the last couple of years about I hate all these three-pointers and blah, blah, blah. But 
the math says if you get those open shots, you should take them, and why go against the math, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you look at, like, their first couple championships, it was Duncan and David Robinson. And then you look at their last championship, and Duncan was, like, the ninth most important scorer on that team. It was Tony Parker and Ginobili and Boris Diaw and Danny Green and Kawhi, Kawhi. obviously, as well. The emergence of Kawhi. It just – his – Pop shifted his style away from the post and more toward the perimeter. Yep. More toward give Tony Parker the ball, give Kawhi the ball. Let's let's let our creators create. Do you know what? I, and I don't remember which game it was, but in that series, late in the game, Duncan got a post touch and a huge bucket, and it was one of those cool moments where it was like you can go back to that when you need to. Yeah. I, I don't remember the exact circumstance, but I remember I was having to watch it at a bowling alley because it was a birthday party I was at, mm-hmm. and I remember standing in the bar of the. Uh, of the bowling alley and watching the end of that game and going, God, they're going with a Duncan post touch. And yeah. He delivered. Yeah. No, dude's a beast. Yeah. Manu, his peak from 2007 through 2015 per 36 minutes, 20 points, six assists, five rebounds, 45% from the field, 37 from three. Dude was so good. Pretty awesome. So if this is how and it ends. And a great defensive player. Very, very, very good defensive player. Just he, dude, he just found ways to make plays. Yeah. Just found you know, ways and, to make plays. And let, just to make this go full circle, because I'm sure there's Maverick fans going, did we really just hear five minutes of Spurs talk, you yeah. jerks? <laughs> this uh, Parker and Ginobili on the floor at the same time with multiple pick and roll action that you can reverse, that's what I see as a future for Dennis and, and Doncic. Absolutely. That kind dude, of an impact. Someone even said that, that Doncic might – his ceiling might be like Ginobili's career. It's like oh, – Cool. Great, we did it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, I think we talked about this on the pod last time, but it, after watching uh, some Chris Mullen highlights, it became very apparent to me. I was like, man, we're kind of watching a Chris Mullen type dude. That would also be very good. He's a dream teamer. Yeah. If Chris you Mullen can, was on the dream team. If you can be Chris Mullen, right, whatever, seven, eight-time All-Star, I'm sure, and average 20 points a game a few years, that's, that's quite awesome. good. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sign up for some of those. For sure. So, anyway, Skin, I wanna, before we go, I want to kind of take looks at – the Southwest Division, right? Okay. Yep. The schedule came out and breaking. They play four games against all those teams. So that is Houston, San Antonio, New Orleans, and Memphis. I think for the purposes of this conversation, we don't really need to talk about, about the Rockets. We can talk about them another time, but they're just kind of – Yeah. I think the thing about the Pelicans, Grizzlies, and Spurs is that the Mavericks are going to be potentially competing with them for playoff spots. Right. I think the the Rockets have sort of separated themselves from the rest of the division as they are probably going to be a top-two team. And I would think of these other teams we're talking about, the Spurs are the most likely to separate themselves from these other teams, but I think they're probably closer to these teams we're talking about than they are to the Rockets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, especially if they lose Manu because Manu's not playing a lot of minutes, right? He plays important minutes. He plays important minutes. Yeah. He closes games. Yes. Last season in December, the Mavericks were in San Antonio. The Spurs made a huge comeback and won on a Manu game winner. Right. Like, he is their dirt. Dude, dude, you're talking about taking not only their best player away from them and Kawhi, you're talking about play, taking away – the the foundation of a dynasty is gone. It's not just losing Ginobili. It's losing Ginobili, Parker, and Kawhi is a All massive shift. Wow. That's a massive shift. Wow. And replacing them with – so we can look at their roster now. Danny Green has gone too. Yep. Uh, and he's, yep. he's been Great to a couple point. finals. 
They're replacing them with Deontay Murray, very good defender, he but he's baby. like 21. He a baby. Lonnie Walker may or may not come off the bench, but yep. he's only, I believe, 21. He mm-hmm. would be a junior in college. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, of course, has been around the block. Rudy Gay, LaMarcus Aldridge, Pau Gasol. But beyond that, man, I mean, it's like Brent Forbes, Davis Bertans, Jakob Pertl. These are these are younger guys. Who are the – and we don't know. We can speculate based on their history and stuff. Who are the, Who are the leaders of that group? I don't know. Who steps up and asserts himself as the leader? DeRozan and Aldridge have always kind of reminded me of each other because they're both very good, but they're both kind of – they just seem more like kind of the laid back. I they're think just, one of – And Lamar- I, that's not an insult. No, Dirk it's is not. That way. It's not, but, you know, so the stories were that LaMarcus Aldridge left uh, Portland because he got his feelings hurt that it was suddenly all about Damian Lillard. Well, that wasn't a conspiracy against LaMarcus Aldridge. It was those personalities emerge. Mm. And if you're in the room with those personalities, it's obvious It's obvious to everyone. It's not, hey, everyone, I'm the leader. Yeah. You know, that, that's not how it works out. Guys follow who they want to, you know, who they're inclined to follow. And so I think, you know, in, in Toronto they had a unique situation because it was like, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry were this sort of dynamic duo, but Kyle Lowry's the one who's always had the junkyard dog personality. Mm. Um, so there's that. Maybe DeRozan emerges as this guy. I don't think he's that guy, but I could be completely wrong. And, and I'm talking about personality. I'm not talking about caliber of player. Yeah. Um, Rudy Gay is not that guy. He seems pretty kind of like chill, too. Yeah. Just like a good dude. Right. Um, so, you know. Pow, really, really nice guy. I think the one thing about the Spurs is that they're, like, better prepared to to brave that sort of storm, if you even want to call it that, because Pop is there and been Absolutely. there for so long. It's more of, like, a college team where it's Pop's team and not, right. like, a player's team. Even right. Kawhi, Duncan, like, those were the alphas on the Spurs forever, and those guys aren't, like, traditional lead people. Right. You know what I mean? But one of the things that worked, though, is that – Pop was incredibly hard on Manu, Parker, and Duncan, and they were far and away their three best players. It wasn't even close. Yep. And so for a long time. So when it's just like here, you know, if Dirk wanted to rebel, he could rebel, and then there's going to be a ripple effect. The guys going to be like, oh, I'm following Dirk. Yep. So if your best player, possibly the best player in the history of your franchise, is rolling with the leadership, that matters a lot. And I don't know, they all may just be fine. But the whole point is that for the first time in 20 years, there's a big, ooh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, who does know? You're turning, the, you're turning your point guard over to, to a 21-year-old. Yep. Right? It's going to be DeRozan and Aldridge, two guys who I believe were both all-stars last season. Mm-hmm. So they're both <laughs> they're really good. But how's it going to work? I, I, I just don't know. So and then do they have spacing on that? Yeah. Floor? So that leads me to the kind of the big question. I'm going to have a question for each of these teams. Last season, the Spurs were 26th in three-point percentage. Okay. How are they going to make it work? The year before with Kawhi, they were seventh in offensive rating, and they were first in three-point percentage. Mm -hmm. So they were the best three-point shooting team in the league. And DeRozan does have similar elements to his game as Kawhi, but Kawhi is the better shooter. Right. So I I, I is it is it as mad? But I remember looking when the trade went down. I believe DeRozan is a twenty nine percent career three point shooter. I yep. believe. I think last year he was like thirty one, thirty two, which yeah. is almost one almost league average. Years. Yeah, so and that's one of his best yeah, years. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But if he's your best shooter, which that's a problem Murray and and Rudy Gay is you know he's okay. Lamarcus Aldridge never been a big three point guy. Powell really good from the corners, but I don't know how much he's going to play this year. He's mm-hmm. he's getting up there a little bit, so. I don't know. I mean, they, you can engineer some off the bench. Lonnie Walker, really good. Patty Mills, Marco Bellinelli, Brent Forbes, Davis Bertans, all these guys can shoot. 
but they're not going to be playing big minutes. I'm not so sure Breton's not their best shooter. Yeah, he might be. He can Boy, shoot. Boy, he guns. He, yeah, he, he can't get that ball out of his hands yeah, fast he's, he's got a lot of Steve Novak in him. Just Absolutely. Like, I don't care how long <laughs> I've been sitting down. I'm coming. I'm shooting the yeah. first time I touch it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, but, it, but last year, okay, so last year, 17th in offense the year before with Kawhi 7th. So, if it is just a matter of, like, we lacked a scoring wing last year, so we suffered, and now we're going to fill that hole with DeMar DeRozan. Maybe it does help them. Maybe not. Right. But we'll see. So for the first time, I think, in my lifetime, at least since I was old enough to really understand what the NBA stood for, the Spurs might kind of have to fight their way into the playoffs. I think it's uh, – and I also I, – I, I'm not taking anything away from what a great player DeMar DeRozan has been. I don't know – that I like that trade for them, um, and I know that they liked. Um, I know that they liked the lottery pick they got from a couple of years. Potal, Pertle. Yeah, yeah. I know they like him and feel like they can. He's develop. nice. He can post up. Yeah, but um, you know, you're right. It's really about those guys buying in and following Pop's lead. And if they do that, then they'll be good. But they're going to have to get back to this defensive grit style that that Pop can squeeze out of guys. I think to really compete with the upper echelon of that conference. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, they were they were playing Aldridge and Gasol for long stretches last season, and they were still fourth in D rating. So yeah. that's how much having a really, really, really be a point guard defender can can help you. Yeah. Like Deontay Murray shuts people down. Yeah. So he's he's a lot is going to be on his shoulders. Right? I wouldn't be surprised, man, if they're bottom 10 in offensive rating it could happen yeah but you could win with defense sure absolutely uh moving on to a team that was not top 10 in defense last year but was very very good on offense the new orleans pelicans so we do kind of disagree about them right they're kind of they're big roster changes this year losing rondo Mm -hmm. uh replacing him with alfred payton Mm, yeah oh my god um losing demarcus cousins of course who was hurt last season anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and replacing him with Julius Randle. Uh, there are other bigs, Jalil Okafor, Emeka Okafor, this guy Anthony Davis, you might have heard of him, Nikola Miritich. They still have Drew Holiday, who's a beast, but their bench, I mean, th- that's not a team with a lot of depth. It's They didn't have any depth last year, right? Do we agree with that? Correct, yeah, but Anthony Davis only missed like five or six games, and that is That's, really what... Hey, if they don't have Anthony Davis, they're not making the playoffs. Yeah, and if they don't have Drew Holiday either, dude, Drew Holiday, like his on-off splits were insane. Yeah, Drew he Holiday's was incredible for them. Um, I, I personally, if I'm coaching this team, I'm putting Drew Holiday back at point guard because okay. I have to. Okay. And I'm replacing him with either Julius Randle um, maybe you want shooting and you go with more. Um, so are you putting Miritich at small forward then? Because right now, if Miritich is your starting four, you bring Randall off the bench, then your starting three is Solomon Hill probably? I, I would I would get over it, and I would play Miritich and Randall together. Go 90s Mavs, let's just play size. Because Anthony Davis causes such a problem anyways. And quite honestly, I'm not so sure looking at this team, if I wanted, to, if I wanted Holiday to play the two, I, my starting point guard would be in Clark. Ian Clark, okay, because he can shoot a little bit. Because he can shoot and create offense. Spot up. Um, I think I think Clark could be a good fit w- with Randall. Anytime Randall's on the floor, if you bring in Clark too, because Randall's posting up, he's bringing the ball off the floor. He's, yeah. He's got the ball in his hands a lot. A lot. I, although I don't think he played Ian Clark. I don't think he played many minutes for him last year. I thought he was going to be really, really productive, so like a sneaky good signing. And uh, I, I don't think he got many minutes. I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I know you're giving a lot of minutes to Rondo. 
But uh, in 74 games last year, he averaged seven points on 31% three-point shooting, which Who's is that? surprising. Ian Clark. Yeah. In Golden State, he was above 37. Well, you know, typically you get better shots, Golden true. State. Yeah, hey, that's where true. was this? Uh, I'm looking at your notepad. Where was this sitting? My notepad? Yeah. On is my desk. On your desk. Okay, yeah. is that Lizelle that wrote hi right no, there? No, no, no. That, that is Elizabeth. She's one of our uh, our ticket sales reps. Okay. Okay. Very good. Why? You think Lizelle is uh, – Well, I know that her desk know. is right by you, and oh, she's a very yeah. upbeat person. No, yeah, So I thought sure. maybe she wrote high on that. For sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lizelle's never written me a kind note before. Well, she's never written she's me a mean one either. What would be interesting is you'll find out if she actually listens to the podcast or not, because if she does, she will write you a note. In two weeks, if she hasn't mentioned this, should we, like, not talk to her anymore? Let's blow her spot up. Let's <laughs> yeah. talk about it on the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that there's kind of depth questions with New Orleans. The Spurs Absolutely. seem to have a lot of, like, young, interesting players who are maybe trying to find their way to fit in with these veterans. The Pelicans have a really, really solid starting lineup, no mm-hmm. matter who's coming off the bench, but the bench is not the deepest. Yep. So it's going to be interesting for them. Uh, my big question for them, right, I already talked about Randall a little bit. Or is he playing with Anthony Davis? But how do they replace Rondo, Okay. Their splits last year with Rondo on were actually, like, worse compared to all the other starters. Mm-hmm. So they were better with Davis than they were with Rondo. They were better with Holiday. They were better with Boogie even. But when Rondo played, they were 41-24. and 24. When Rondo did not play, they were 7-10. and 10. Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, they swept the Blazers, and mm-hmm. it was like the freaking Rajon Rondo show. It was Quote-unquote playoff Rondo. It was deeply, deeply upsetting and impressive. So, how do you replace Rondo? I guess your solution is to put Holiday at the at point and bring Peyton off the bench as kind of the backup, or do you put Peyton in hoping that he can kind of do the same thing, which is sort of just like this quick facilitating? I mean, to me, Peyton's a developmental player. I, I would – I mean, I'm not in their camp or whatever, but I, I value Ian Clark more than I value Peyton. Um, so – I mean, I, I guess that that's to be determined. They're, they pro- they had so much success with Holiday playing off the ball, and obviously he's a really good defender on twos, um, that, that maybe that's the route they want to go, and maybe that's where the majority of those two-guard minutes go. Um, look, they, they have depth problems for sure, uh, but they have the most unique player in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, that guy is impossible to cover. Mm. He's impossible to cover. He's, he throws your entire defensive game plan. And, and, and the Meritage move was great because, you know, that guy catches, he will let it fly and it'll go in. Yeah, for sure. So, and he's got some size too. Uh, Anthony Davis, I, you know, to me it's like they'll be the fifth or sixth best team in the conference if Anthony Davis is the MVP of the league, mm. that kind of thing. And he's got to stay healthy. And he has two years in a row. He has right. not missed a lot of time. That right. was kind of his bugaboo early in the year as Achilles. Just, he just could not stay healthy. But – he has in the last couple of years. Uh, they could obviously make some more moves. Last year they had Jordan Crawford, so maybe they bring him back. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, they could make some trades, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, if in a league where all the talk is about, like, six, seven guys, the Pelicans only have a couple of them. So right. that's an interesting thing to watch with them. But their seven-foot guys plays like a six-seven He's guy. pretty good, yeah. I think. He's like if, if, like, honestly, if Dirk and Shaq had a uh, kind of, like, morphed into one. <laughs> It would be Anthony Davis. Pretty much. He's just a freak. He's, He's so freak. good. So good. Yep. Uh, moving on to Memphis. Hard to talk about Memphis last season because, obviously, Mike Conley was hurt almost the whole year. Marcus Gasol was in and out. And then, basically, once the calendar turned to December, 
really kind of when Harrison Barnes hit that buzzer beater mm-hmm. on uh, the day before Thanksgiving. Right. That kind of was like the beginning of the end. Yep. Memphis started, I want to say, 5-0. and mm-hmm. uh, The Mavs gave them their first loss of the year, which is interesting because they right. beat, I think, the Rockets and the Warriors like two games in a row. It was unbelievable. Right. This summer for Memphis, they were busy. Okay, so they did not sit idly by. They got Jaron Jackson Jr., who, in my opinion, was the second best player in the draft, behind only Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will spit that take forever. Still got Conley, still got Marc Gasol. They went out, and you talk about New Orleans not having a lot of wings. The Grizzlies have wings for days and days and days. So here is everybody on their roster who's between 6'6 and 6'9. Okay. Garrett Temple, Kyle Anderson, Chandler Parsons, Dylan Brooks, Ivan Rabb is 6'10, but I count him. Omri Caspi, Wayne Selden, Marshawn Brooks, and then they have uh, Jermichael Green, and they also drafted Javon Carter, who's not a wing, but he can defend one and two. Okay. So they got a lot of like six five, six six, six seven, six eight guys. They got a lot of defense. They got a lot of grit. And guess what? They got some grind too. Skin. What is? Who's their third best player? Probably Jaron Jackson. I don't know. Well, here's 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 their roster. I wrote their roster down because I'm yeah. old school. Um, I mean, I'm just I'm just uh, I'm thinking out loud. It's Conley and Gasol, of course. I mean, they have a lot of wings, right? But the question is, are you a Kyle Anderson fan? I don't know. I, I don't really know what to make of his game, honestly, because he w- he was playing like he was playing a weird role for the Spurs. He's a weird player. He's a weird player. What he's, is he? He's interesting. You know, he's almost like a less athletic Boris Diaw. I could see that. I could see um, that. See, this is where it's like I don't really have any idea how to evaluate this team. Yeah. I mean, like in other words, you like we talk about the problems with New Orleans. And I go, okay, yeah, but they have one guy that you simply can't account for. Nobody can stop him. He destroys your entire team by himself. Yeah. Um, whereas I go, okay, Marcus Gasol's what, 34 now? 33, somewhere in there? Something like Coming that. Coming off injuries. Um, is he still going to crank up threes? What's their offensive philosophy this year? I think he has to shoot threes. Because the guy that had him shooting all those threes is gone. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming, you know, I think Conley's a really, really, really good player. Um, but he's getting on up there. I, I and how's he going to come back after I that? I don't know what this team is. I don't know. I just don't know. I know they can defend a little bit. Yes. They can defend. Yes. People talk about Kyle Anderson's plus-minus numbers, but, like, that's, I, I don't know, plus-minus stuff for the bench and kind of how that affects the team and whenever you're playing in San Antonio, all those things are just kind of like, I don't think that is going to easily translate right away. I'm not a big fan of an individual plus-minus number unless yeah. it's plus 30. Yeah. I'm like, okay, like, basketball's a game of context. Yeah, well, it's mostly like like RPM, BPM, stuff like that. Yeah. But even that is, it's it's very easily influenced, I think, by who you're playing with. Yeah. And the team you're playing for, yes. of course. Um, and who you're playing against. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know I what mean, that team is, man. I don't know. I, I, I don't know either. I do like Javon Carter. I think Jermichael Green's pretty nice. I thought he was their third best player last year. Was that Jermichael Green? Yeah. Probably. And whenever Conley went down, he was their second best. Um, Dylan Brooks, I like him. I'm interested He contributed. In him. Yeah, but he is probably a three, maybe. Well, yeah, he's not a four. He's definitely a three, but he's not a two. He's definitely a p- get the ball, put your head down, and I'm going to go guy. Yeah, yeah, he can shoot. I, I'm interested because, I mean, last year, you know, they were kind of going through the same thing the Mavs were. So I think he had a lot more chances to get shots up. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in what kind of player he becomes in more of a uh, kind of like an established system, right? Uh, do you feel – 
Uh, let's take injuries out of the mix. Do you think the Mavericks are definitively better than Memphis? I don't know. Definitively is tough. I mean, I like the Mavs roster more than the too. Grizzlies. And yeah. I, I especially like the Mavs roster against the Grizzlies. The question is, you know, is Memphis going to be able to just beat teams down in February in Memphis whenever whatever teams don't care? Whenever it's the, the fourth game of a four-game homestand and the Grizzlies are in town, are they just going to let up? Because it, this is like the grit and grind, 88 to 84 games. Who who gets buckets for them? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, Jaron Jackson can shoot the crap out of it. I think it's going to be interesting because You're, you, if, you just told me a rookie that couldn't stay on the floor for Michigan State is going to get buckets hey, for them. Hey, hey, don't discount no, the No, I think, of, hey, call me in two years, baller. Yeah. yeah. Who's going to get buckets for them? Yeah, I think the the – most interesting thing about them is you have to start Jackson. So if you do, you're starting Jackson and Gasol. So your two best shooters are big men. Uh-huh. And then you got Conley, who's also a pretty good shooter. And then you have all your wings. And Garrett Temple could shoot okay. But all these other guys, I, I don't know I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to have to invert their offense for like 48 minutes. Right. It's going to be really interesting Who's going to gonna get buckets for them? I, don't, I didn't answer your question, did I? No, I it's, mean, it's not an answerable question. Yeah, so if, if Conley averages 16, Gasol 16, Jackson 14, Jermichael Green gives you 10 off the bench. Now hold on, let's go, back. let's go back to what you just said. Yeah. 16 and 14, so you're at 46 points and you're out of offensive options. And then Green gives you 10 off the bench. Shoot. And then you get – Who's going to get buckets for that? From them? your six wings giving you seven points each, and that gets you to 90. Man, what year is this? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to make it seem like we're, you know, taking a giant no, dump no, no, on no. these rosters. No, 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 I mean, dude, anything, I can guarantee you there's a Memphis Grizzlies podcast going, look at this Maverick team. Yeah. What, are you kidding me? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I get it. It's all it's a beauty in the eye of the beholder thing. Um, but, you know, I'm looking at this within the context of our team and, and, and how they compare. And I just – I, I think they put the grind in grit and grind. I mean, I, they really are un- amping up the grind there. They're, you're going to have to squeeze some blood out of that rock. Yeah, I mean, my question – so you're talking about scoring, right? My question is playmaking. So Conley, obviously – dude, I love Mike Conley's game so much. I think he's a great point guard. Really, really good point guard. Yeah. Really good playmaker. Just runs an offense very well. Aside from him, I mean, unless Parsons is back healthy, they don't have many players – and, in fact, I'm not sure they have any forwards that can really just kind of create. Unless you play through Gasol in the post, which you can do a little bit or, uh-huh. like, at the elbows. But I'm not as concerned with the scoring as I am with the playmaking because good playmaking can create scoring. Right. But who is who is facilitating stuff? I mean, you're, you're, you're exacerbating my point. It's like they don't have an individual scores. You know, they're, they're going to have to get buckets out of sets. Yeah. Like, if I'm, if I'm looking at that, that's the team. And, by the way, there's some good passers there. That's the, I mean, basketball's changed a lot, but that's the thing we go, I wonder if we can run the Princeton. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if we can do, let's, let's do some triple post stuff. Yeah. Like, can we create buckets out of movement? Um, because, they're, like you said, um, I, Gasol's their second best playmaker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kyle Anderson could pass a little bit too, but I think that's like what you're talking about. Flex, motion, like yeah. elbow stuff, pinch post, like really old school basketball. Right. And I think that some of that, to a degree, could work. But the problem is they don't have a lot of, like, speed either. So if you're going to be running a lot of this stuff, you have to have someone who you fear coming off a cut that can drive by you. And I don't think they have – they don't have a lot of explosive – a lot of explosiveness, Skin. Is there – by the way, does their pick go to the Celtics next year? Uh, ooh, I think – think let me pull it up it's probably uh, protected for the top seven or eight yeah or i want to say it's protected top eight 
for the next couple years. So their 2019 second-round draft pick goes to Boston. Oh, no, their 2019 first-round draft pick goes to Boston, protected for selections one through eight okay. this year, one through six next year, and then unprotected the year after. It's going to be tough, man. I it's going to be tough. The West, I, is, I, the West I, is hard. It's in, you know, and you give them respect because of Gasol and Conley. But, man, that's going to be tough. But well, I get it, man. I'm sitting here going, hey, a rookie is supposed to – I mean, there's people going, well, you guys expect all this stuff from Doncic, who's yep. a rookie, so what the hell are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, one of the over-unders, I think the Mavs and the Grizzlies have the same over-under. Is that so, right? Yeah. I, get, I can the, see that. The Mavs, I think, are 34-and-a-half, which I think is way too low. The Grizzlies are 33 or 34 Give me the over. Yeah. Not for the Grizzlies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, the West, man, it takes no prisoners. You could be 41-41 and 41 and still finish, like, 12th place. Yep. We're allowed to talk about gambling now, aren't we? I don't know. Does anybody it, know? It's weird. I mean, I think that you can Not talk about. Not that I would, Bob, yeah, but, you know. Yeah, no, I think that you can talk about, like, over-under lines and stuff. But, uh-huh. I, like, game-to-game lines, I think, is where it's like, eh, better not. Can I just say tune in to MGM or what? Who's the partner? MGM, I right. believe, yeah. Live updates, everybody. Yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah, gambling. I, I think, like, even if you finish 14th in the West, you still might finish outside of the top eight. Mm-hmm. In, in the draft order, unless yeah. you get lucky or unlucky or right. however you want to view it. So I don't know if Memphis will convey that pick, but they probably I, – I mean, I don't even know if we can talk about this sort of thing. This is where it gets fuzzy, but, like, I would assume that they want another young player. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, so because if if you get – because Conley's what I think now? they want three of those things yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, Conley came in in 2007, I believe was his rookie season. Or okay. 2000, 2008, one of those two. So he's been in the league about 10 years. So he's like 28, 29. So he's got, assuming he comes back from his injury last year, okay. He's got another three, four, five years of being really, 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 good. really nice. For sure. And if you get Jaron Jackson in three or four years, he'll be really nice. Mm-hmm. And then you get another pick or two, then all of a sudden, hey, you know, 2020, 2021 is going to be pretty nice for us. Hey. So that is going to be interesting. And then. Another thing to follow, the Mavs pick uh, to the Hawks is protected one through five. Right. That is going to be very tough to get in the top five this year. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be some bad teams. The East is. That would have to be an injury-filled year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or, you know, you, whatever, you finish in the lottery and you get very lucky. Right. Which the Mavs have never done before. We're due. Yeah. Yeah, you want although Zion Williamson, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be man. That's so like last season and the year before too. But really, last season was the first year where, from like opening night of the college season, it was like I want to see all the DeAndre Ayton highlights. Show me Mo Bamba. Yeah. What's Luka Doncic doing in Spain? Because you're just thinking about this stuff all year, right? This year, I don't even know what to do. Like, do I pay attention to these guys because there's like a 2% chance one of them could be on the Mavs? Or I'll watch do I Duke whenever I'm not watching an NBA game. Yeah, because they got three guys, they right? got They got probably your, your top five picks, you know, right? <laughs> oh, my God. They're like becoming new Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, that's kind of a quick, I guess, kind of a long run-through of the Southwest Division. Three of the teams that have been lumped together. Now, I think, like, New Orleans is probably, like – if this is a head and shoulders situation, New Orleans is probably like the head. Those three teams are the shoulders. I think New Orleans is about what projected like fifth, sixth behind. I, yeah. Top two: Lakers, uh, Denver, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and then it's kind of like. I'm not ready to lavish praise on Denver and Minnesota over a San Antonio or a New Orleans. Really? I mean, you know, with Denver, it's a little bit different because Millsap missed so much of the year. Yep. Um, but their point guard situation, I don't think Jamal Murray is a point guard. 
I understand the necessity of doing that. And, you know, Isaiah is going to be like this gunner off the bench and Mm -hmm. those sorts of things. But Gary Harrison, nice, too. Yeah, dude, they got good players. I mean, they end up as the fourth seed or, you know, I think three seeds probably pushing it. I'm Mm -hmm. not surprised, but Portland was the three seed last year. Yeah. Right. And everybody seems to have written them off a little bit. I'm kind of in the I'm not sure Portland will make the playoffs camp. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if that's the way they're headed, expect a huge Portland trade before the trade deadline. Yeah. Well, dude, it's just such a numbers game because I mean, you got to think that LeBron will make it, no matter what your opinion is about the Le- the Lakers bench, right? LeBron, I think the Lakers are the three seed. That's a hot take, and I know you've said that before. I think but it's, that, that I take think it's is a still lukewarm take. I just said the best take. player in the world is going to sew up the three seed. I don't think that's that hot no, of a take. No, that's a scalding hot take. Okay. Javale McGee in the three seed. <laughs> I guess he was the two seed last year and the one seed the year before, so he's due for the three, but. Uh, LeBron, Utah is amazing unless Donovan Mitchell like forgets how to do cool stuff, mm-hmm. which is probably not going to happen. I think they're really, really good, and they'll probably be the four. Yeah, and then you got Denver, Minnesota, New Orleans. I think that they're all like kind of right there. Mm-hmm. And then in Minnesota's some order, got some things to work out, homeboy. They do, they do. I mean, on paper we like it. I liked it on paper last year. Yeah. And, and they, they were, were fiddle farting around to the last day of the year. They were forty-seven wins. They were forty-seven wins last year, though. I mean, it's crazy. Forty-seven wins. You you're like playing in a play-in game. Right. Some, forty-seven wins in the East. You get home court. Right. That's what happened to the Cavs last year. But so think about this: Jimmy Butler's in a contract year, and there's two young players that he's not getting along with that are all complaining about their shots. Let me know. It's going to be interesting to watch the Wolves this year. How yeah. about that? And we get them on our home opener. Yeah, we do. Very early Saturday in the, season. the 20th? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Saturday, October 20th. Bring yeah. it on. Two days after that first game. How about that? Uh, and then, yeah, it's San Antonio. It's the Mavs. It's the Grizzlies. It's the Blazers. It is the Pelicans. And that's like 11 teams. And then you still have Sacramento, who, who knows, the Suns, who are probably going to have near 500 home record this year because they're just going to surprise teams. The Clippers, for some reason, keep getting projected around 40 wins, but I'm not sure about that. Cause it's tough haul. Yeah. Somebody's so, got to lose these games. Why is the West hard, Skin? I don't know, but it got harder. I know that. It did. It got, I would say on July 1st at around 12.02 a.m., it got a little more difficult whenever uh, LeBron quickly reached terms yep. with the Lakers. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? Or are you ready to go enjoy uh, what's left of your week? I'm going to go enjoy what's left of my week. Maybe spend some more time in this kitchen nook. Okay. You're going to reheat your coffee? You're going to reheat my, my coffee for the third time. And see, uh, those appear to be grapes over there. Go get some grapes. Those are, I think they're cherry skin. Ooh, I'm out. Are you, you're not a cherries guy? I'm probably going to. Uh, leave the kitchen nook now. Oh, wow. Cause yeah, the cherries ran me out. So that's why you've been breaking out in hive this whole podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, really anxious when it comes to cherries. All right, guys, thank you for listening. It is Numbers on the Boards. We will see you next week. See ya. Numbers on the Boards with Jeff Skinwade and Bobby Corella.